0: I don't think I have any famous relatives. I don't think I do. I've never gone through, you know, these resources that are available now, like Ancestry thing or 23andMe, something like that. And i am not really gone through those. So I don't think I have anybody famous in my family. But I do have a couple of cousins that I think are pretty cool. Uh, One of my cousins is he made it to the top of the United States Air Force. He was one of those top gunners. So when we saw that remake recently in the theaters, I always thought of my cousin Russell, pretty pretty good guy. Pretty hard to make it that, your eyesight has to be like perfect, by the way. Uh, And then I have another group of cousins, really my dad's cousin, that have this farm nearby. And that's pretty cool. You may be familiar with Bauman Farms, that is related to me. I do get a little bit of a discount if I push it. Those donuts are pretty good, though. I mean, you can't, this is October without those donuts. So I have some cousins that I think are pretty cool. What about you? You got any, like, I don't know, famous people in your family? Do you have anybody? If you do, tell your neighbor. Who's that famous person that maybe you're related to? Maybe you're related to royalty way, way back in the day. I don't even know. My grandma said I'm related to a lot of people, but I didn't really believe what she said. She said I was related to like Sam Houston or something in the South. And I, don't, I want to see some documentation on that. I don't really know. We don't really get to choose our families, though, do we? we we're born into them, and here we go. And so, you know, the, 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 the crazy cousin that you might know, or aunt, or uncle, or we, we get our families. Uh, here's a fun fact, since we're on this subject. The actress Glenn Close, you know who that is, actress Glenn Close? Anyway, she's related to Brooke Shields, another actress. They're like seven, or second cousins once removed, which I have no idea what that means. But anyway, so there's some famous cousins. Now you know, and you can share that with people at your work and really wow them with your knowledge of famous related people. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here today with us. Uh, if this is your first Sunday, welcome, welcome, welcome. We meet like Christ followers all over the globe. We are one big dysfunctional family of faith, and we meet on a Sunday. Why do we meet on Sunday? Because that was the day that tomb was empty, and it changed human history forever. And for many of us, it changed our hearts forever. That's why we gather on Sunday. We lift him up. If you didn't know, that's why. We gather on this day, the first day of the week. It's a good day for a reset. So on that note, I'm going to count to three. Take a deep breath. Ready? One, two, three. Deep breath. Let it out slowly. Let's pray. Father, you're good and powerful and mighty. We're thankful for families, even a crazy family. We're thankful, Lord, that you put us in families and not just our earthly families. You've called us to be part of your great family. We're going to be sons and daughters of you, our king. And so, Lord, we lean into your word. Speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit that today would be a new day and, and, and you would just speak loudly that we would hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are talking about famous cousins today. And my message today is just Crazy Cousin John. Because every family's got somebody crazy in there. Well, we're going to be looking at the scriptures, Matthew chapter 3. So if you have a Bible or a device, I really do encourage you to bring that along with you. This is my large print English standard version. I'm a man of a certain age, and now I need large print. That's just the way it is. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. And by the way, we, we've had some great times already in Matthew. Who's been enjoying the Matthew series? If you've been with us for a while, this stuff's just awesome. And Matthew wasn't just haphazardly putting these things down on the page. These were intentional. Everything we've read already, not not just the hyperlinks. Remember we talked about hyperlinks where the New Testament writer will will hint at something that happened in what we call the Old Testament, or the the, the first 39 books of the Bible. Lots of hyperlinks. Last week, Andrew pulled out a different metaphor for for the hyperlink. He called it marinating. Marinating. Now, I don't know if that's as good. I don't know, Andrew. you marinating the steak. He talked about that last, last week. He talked about the scriptures that are in the New Testament have been marinated in the Old Testament. I like hyperlink. It shows you the age that I discovered the Internet way back in 95. It was all about hyperlinks. So there's hyperlinks all over. But Matthew is very intentional about what he's written so far. And today is no different. If you remember last time in Matthew chapter 2, we had this crazy flight to Egypt. And uh, so Mary and Joseph had to, to hightail it to, to Egypt because the bad king was trying to kill baby boys, which is crazy. So they had to make a quick flight down to Egypt. and then they came back from Egypt and sure sounds like something from the Old Testament, doesn't? Uh, God's people in Egypt? And he had to come out, see, this is what Matthew's been doing all along. We're, we're getting some, these things should be highlighted in our brains. They should be like a neon sign thinking, oh, Matthew's talking about some, some, some interesting connections. So when we get to chapter 3, we now advance about 25 years. Now I have questions. Certainly you should too. Matthew, why didn't you cover Jesus' awkward adolescence? I would like to, to read about that. We, did, we, don't, we don't get that. We just have little glimpses of Jesus as a 12-year-old, as a boy. But, but the gospel writers are all pretty clear. They jump ahead To get to the ministry of Jesus. So it may not show it in your Bibles, but we've just advanced a couple decades. And now we're in Matthew chapter 3. I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. Are you ready? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, hyperlink. When he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Mm. (laughs) Then Jerusalem and Al Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. Like he was a big deal. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. (laughs) He calls them snakes. That's, That's fun. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's spicy. That's fiery, is that not? You know, the religious leaders come, they're all dressed nicely. They're probably getting them in the good spots. They probably sat in the front. And then John, when he sees them, he's like, you snakes. You know, that's not a good way to fundraise and stuff like that. It's not a good way to get people on your side. Just start calling them snakes. Do that tomorrow at work, whatever. Snakes. No, don't do that. Don't do that to your boss. Bad, bad idea. But that's a, that's a spicy message. We had a little boy living with us for about eight months, and he couldn't say the whole word spicy, so he would just say Picey. Pisces. So this is Pisces. This stuff right here. He mentions fire. How many times? Like three times like fire. There's like an ax. There's snakes involved. This is some fiery language. So let's let's talk about this. Break this down because Matthew says in those days, that phrase is interesting because in those days, Israel was kind of a mess. Israel, the the, the nation, the, the, the people, the Jewish people. They were kind of a wreck. In fact, at that point in time, there were all these like separate little tribes in the Jewish people. There were the Essenes, there's the Zealots, there's the Pharisees, there's the Sadducees, uh, just all kinds of division in their, 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 their Jewish family. And so they were very fragmented. At that point, you had the people running the temple, which is where, it's really important, right? The temple was where God and humanity were supposed to meet. Heaven and earth come together. And what was happening at the temple? We had these people named Sadducees who were like the priestly class, and they had gotten kind of corrupted with not only the Roman empire, but also they had kind of developed some Hellenism, which is sort of this philosophy that, hey, body is everything, have fun. They'd kind of corrupted In fact, Jesus himself will later really come after these folks because they had corrupted the very place where heaven and earth were supposed to come together. So a fragmented people that had been waiting so long for a prophet to come. The last prophet was centuries ago, a prophet named Malachi. And that was how the Old Testament part of your Bible ends. And then just silence. So there had been this prophetic silence for so long. And here comes a camel hair-wearing bug-eater guy in John, and he starts with a fiery message going after the religious leaders who had allowed so much corruption to happen. And it wasn't just the Sadducees either. It was the hyper-legalistic Pharisees who were probably bigger in the crowd at that point. John comes with this fiery message. So let's talk a little bit about the man, and then we're going to talk about his message And then we'll talk about his mission so that we're clear on this. Now, who is John the Baptist? That's a good question. Glad you asked it. Baptist is not his last name. It wasn't John Baptist. It wasn't on his business card. Kind of like Jesus Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name. It was his role. Well, Baptist was the thing that he was doing. But Baptist is kind of a goofy word. And this is a little bit Bible nerdy. I'll just spend two seconds on this. We talk about it in our starting point class uh, which we just did last week. And uh, when we talk about baptism, baptism it was never a word before the English translators, those first few translations of the entire scripture, the 14, 1500, something like that, a long time ago. Well, at that point in church history, church tradition said that the, this, 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 this ceremony of water could happen in a number of ways. It could be happening by sprinkling, So some of you that grew up in a Catholic tradition, you might have seen that by the priests. There was was sprinkling at that time. There was pouring. More Lutheran traditions, they would pour with a jar. And some would immerse in water. Because all of those three were happening and they didn't want to ruffle feathers, the translators decided, we got an idea. We're going to create a new word in English called baptism. The Greek word is baptizo. So I wonder where they got that idea. But the actual word in Greek is immerse. So for me, I would like to call John the Immerser. And you've got to lower your, your voice when you say it like that. You've got to say, John the Immerser. You know what I mean? It's, you need a Sam Elliott moment here. John the Immerser sounds almost like superhero. John the Immerser. And uh, John had some pretty important parents. He had had a dad named Zechariah who was actually of the priestly class and might have known some of those Sadducees that John the Immerser just called snakes. So that's fun and awkward. So Zechariah, we're told, has kind of gone up in age. He's a little older. And his wife, Elizabeth, is also older. They can both tie their lineage, their family line. Talk about Ancestry.com. These folks could trace their line all the way back to Aaron. I don't know if you know Aaron. That was like Moses' brother. That's a big deal. They they go all the way back. So they, they had a priestly lineage, so that's important. But they were older in age and unable to have children until God intervened. Now, does this sound familiar to any of you? Can you think about another biblical couple that was too old to have kiddos and, until God intervened? Anybody? Abraham and Sarah. And that Abraham and Sarah, remember, that was like first covenant days. Remember, Abraham, you obey me and I will, I will, your family will bless the entire world. And here we have John, the immerser, his parents have a very similar sort of story. Do you think that's a coincidence? I think not. Okay. So he's got these parents and they have this very God intervening moment. That's pretty special. And they're told that this, this, this son, this, this, you're going to name him John, which Zechariah, apparently he didn't have that name in their family. So there was some pushback on that. In fact, some of his friends are like Zachariah. You don't want to name him John. That's crazy because there's nobody in your family named John. And he's like, no, his name is John because that's what God told him to, to call him, and and so 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 he gets this 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 name, and then he's told that that this child is going to be special, and he's going to live a bit like a Nazarite. Uh, Nazarite vow back in the day, we just find it in, in even the the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It's kind of just shows up as this thing where you would. Uh, Put away, uh, you wouldn't have alcohol. Uh, you likely um, would separate yourself. You'd have a special clean foods only diet. And we have Zechariah being told, hey, John is going to kind of live like this. So likely he never got married or had positions of power. He, he did most of his work in the wilderness, like literally outside, literally eating bugs. So he had a, a unique role. Grew up in the wilderness. Now Jesus grew up in the town. He grew up in stick town, right, Nazareth. But John grew up out, out of town, and he ate this locust and wild honey, which from Leviticus, we know that that's actually, those are clean foods. So again, he's separated, he's living a unique way, and he's got a unique role. And Matthew records that he's out doing his ministry at the, in the, the west of the Jordan River in the Judean desert. And we already talked about this, right? There was a hyperlink if you caught it. The hyperlink was to Isaiah chapter 40. Now, Matthew doesn't record the entire passage. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So then let's talk about this cousin thing, because you, you must be thinking, well, he started this whole thing, right? Talking about famous family and, you know, famous cousins, whatever. How come you were talking about, what, what, how does this apply? Well, there's a good chance that John the Baptist or the Immerser, And Jesus might have been cousins. Why do we think that? Well, John was about six months older than Jesus. And John's mother, Elizabeth, was either a cousin or aunt or other close relative to Jesus. So so Mary was related to Elizabeth, most likely. And look, even if they were just really close friends... We know this to be true. If you have close friends in your family, sometimes you like. I know that some of some of the families here might even call me Uncle Ben. Uh, my kiddos grew up with a really uh, close friends, Mike and Heather Miller, and uh, and so my kids refer to Mike as Uncle Mike. So we know that this happens, but likely they were cousins. So Je- Jesus might literally have had a crazy cousin, John. That is back to the front of why I called my message Crazy Cousin John. You're welcome. Well, let's talk about his message. So John comes on the scene. He's got this fiery, well, Pisces message. And he literally is talking about fire and snakes and axes. It's like, ah, what's going on here? He's preaching this message of repentance. Now, repentance is not, sometimes what we think of is like, well, I'm sorry. I mean, you've, you've, we've all been there. If you've had siblings as a kid and your parents said, you tell him Sorry. You tell her sorry, and you kind of lean over and half-heartedly say, I'm sorry. That is not repentance. Repentance is literally this idea of you were going your way. It wasn't working out. So repentance says, I want to go a different way because this way seems better. Interesting that Jesus, when he called people, he didn't say sit down in a pew and read this hymnal. He said, follow me. It's a direction. So John is preaching this fiery message about changing directions in your life. And people were resonating. People from all over, it says, were coming out to hear him. You had religious leaders we already talked about, but you had people that were maybe sort of, they felt like they were outsiders. You had people like tax collectors. They weren't a real great group of people. Imagine the IRS collection folks all around us all the time. Well, these tax collectors weren't always real popular. And they're there. You got soldiers that are there military people, and they're all coming out to hear this message of repentance and they're, they're being cut to the heart. And John starts talking about this, this kingdom of heaven being at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This, this, this idea where God's kingdom is now here and he's co-opting language that would have been used in, certainly in the first century when a new Caesar took power in Rome. And so you'd have the Evangelion, the announcement of a new kingdom. Well, here's John right before Jesus ever preaches a word on this. And Matthew will use this phrase over and over again, so over 30 times in the gospel alone. He'll say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that this is an announcement of a new king, and everything has now changed. John was preaching that. Now, we know from the other gospels, Luke and Mark, and those other gospels have, have the kingdom of God, as a phrase, they can be used interchangeably. Basically, the the idea of the realm where God is king has come, both now and not yet. I don't know how we would update that. We don't we don't have kings and queens much around anymore. Maybe we say that the network of God has come. I don't know. That's not even better. I don't know the the atmosphere where God is. It doesn't really work anyway. But the kingdom has come, and that's what. What they were talking about, and Matthew highlights that. Now, the Pharisees, Pharisees and Sadducees, let's talk about that fun group. So they're coming out, and they're, they're listening. They want to know what's going on with this John and what his message is all about. And, uh, and while the people are resonating and wanting to change their lives, they're wanting, hey, we want to repent. We want to go a different direction. Tell us how to do that, John. And he gives them examples. When these religious leaders come, John isn't so nice. He starts talking about an axe being laid at the tree. I, I cut wood when I was a kid, and you know that axe is bad news for the tree. The tree ain't going to survive that one. So he's looking at these religious leaders and talking about axes. So that's interesting. And, and then he's, he's talking about fire and destruction. And I've got to believe they're pretty uncomfortable at this point what a what a fiery message but a message that's saying hey you haven't been repenting you haven't been changing your ways you you need to wake up and so this was a spicy message to change what's going on and and John was speaking of one who would come that would not just immerse them in water but one who would immerse them with fire and the holy spirit that's that sounds crazy fire in the Holy Spirit, that, that God is going to do something new when the actual king comes. And it's going to be a fire not just to destroy, it's actually going to be a fire that refines you. How they, that's how they make precious metal so precious, because they refine it by using fire to get the impurities out. So both of those metaphors, judgment, burning up, and refining, are all being used right here. And by the way, John's message sounds a lot like Malachi chapter 3. I'll just leave that out there. You can look that up later. That's bonus hyperlink. Okay, so he mentioned fire three different times. Both Malachi and the prophet Joel has some of the same language intermixed in there. Well, let's talk about John and Elijah, because in the first century, people knew some of the famous prophets. Uh, Matthew already quoted Isaiah. He was like a big wig, a major prophet. So was Elijah. Elijah was kind of a, a cool cat, because Elijah, I think, it was the guy that did the whole showdown on the mountain. I don't know if you remember this or not, but he had this showdown where there were some false you know, idol-worshiping priests, and then just one Elijah, and there was like a battle that ensued. Anyway, this is the famous Elijah. And do you think that the people in the first century would have made the connection between John and Elijah? I mean, Malachi has lots to say about one like Elijah who who would usher in the great day of the Lord. It's starting to sound like John. In fact, Jesus will say in Matthew 11, this is who was to come. This is, John is the Elijah who was supposed to come. Sounds like, this situation. Now, you might need more. Well, there was one point where the prophet Elijah, since we're talking about him, he was on the run in the wilderness. Interesting. He's on the run from a real great king and queen. No, King Ahab and Jezebel. And they were not a good couple. They were pretty evil, did a lot of evil, and they were trying to find Elijah. They were looking for him to kill him. So he's on the run, he's in the wilderness, probably had to eat bugs. Do you find that connection? Come on. And here's what 1 Kings 1.8 says. This is King Ahab. Hey, you're looking for a hairy man, and he has a leather belt tied around his waist. So come on, there's some more there. That's who else had the leather belt around him? Who's on Harry? I'm just saying. Now Luke's gospel has more detail about these people that were coming to hear this message. He had people that really wanted to make change in their life. And then you may wonder, why was he so fiery and pisces against these leaders? Well, some of these leaders kind of felt like, because of their bloodline, that they, their family history, they can trace it all the way back to Abraham, they sort of felt privileged. They felt like if you're on a plane, they get first class. These, you know, peons, these tax collectors, these military soldiers, they're, they're second class citizens. We are the first class citizens. And they kind of expected, because of their lineage to Abraham, that they would get a first class treatment in Messiah's kingdom. And what does John say? Nope. Because John's like pointing to his feet, saying, see these stones? Well, God could raise up children of Abraham from stones. So you need to repent, religious leaders. And don't just be assume, assuming that it's all, you get the, all the good stuff by not living according to God's law. And John calls them vipers, which are interesting because vipers in that part of the world, they're very subtle. <laughs> they have subtle movements and they have deadly strikes. So, applied to these leaders, they are subtle movements and they have deadly strikes. And Jesus will continue that discussion with these leaders in the temple over and over again. Well, let's talk about his mission. John was prophetic in the line of like most prophets. And he was paving the way for the Messiah to come. And, And he said over and over again, I'm not the one you should expect. I'm not the Messiah, but he's coming. I don't know how many days between him saying that and Jesus actually showed up. It might have been pretty quick. But he was saying, I'm not him. But when Matthew quotes Isaiah 40, listen to the phrase that ends that passage. Because everybody there that day, or the people listening to John, would have thought about this phrase from the scripture. Isaiah 40, that passage ends with, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So Matthew quoting Isaiah, the people are hearing that whole passage. And whatever is going on with John, he is ushering in a way for all people to have access and see the kingdom come and the salvation of God. All those hyperlinks. Matthew doesn't just haphazardly put this in there. And he ushers in the most famous human of all time. John and his camel hair and bugs coming out of his mouth and his leather belt and his long hair, because that's Nazarite value, you weren't supposed to cut your hair. This prophet, this fiery prophet, introduces the world to the most famous person who ever lived. Jesus Christ might have been his cousin. We don't know. So here's my my only point today is this, is that I think about this story and about John's role and his message and who he was. He was out there. He was different. And I wonder sometimes how willing you and I are to be different for Jesus. Jesus would call his way kind of a narrow way, that there's lots of ways you could follow, but Jesus says, follow me. And that means sometimes we're going to do weird stuff. We're going to gather on Sundays. Some people in your life might think that's weird. Why would you do that? Religion's so archaic. We're going to do weird things, weird things like putting your neighbor first. That's weird. Are you willing to be weird like that? Are you willing to be weird and different where you might meet a need of someone you might give money to someone that they will never be able to repay you back. That's weird. Being generous is weird, isn't it? Where you're gonna gonna go out of your way to do something good that nobody will ever see. That's weird. Are you willing to be weird? Are you following me? Are you willing to be weird? Are you willing to swim upstream? Are you willing to not do the easy thing? If you want what everybody wants, just do what everybody's doing. But if you want something few get, few have, then do what few are willing to do. Be weird for the sake of Jesus. I'm not talking about eat funky food and wear camel hair and stand on a street corner with a bullhorn and beat people over the head with Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. Weird is showing love, not taking revenge, being kind. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Imagine you being a person of peace in the current climate we're in right now. Peace, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, loving kindness, self-control. What a novel concept. Those are weird. And I'm going to challenge you to be willing to be weird. Weird for the sake of Jesus, being weird. Because when we are, it's a signpost with a big arrow on it that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is among us. When people see that, they say, oh, something's going on here. That's different. They're generous, huh? They're not aiming at their neighbor on Facebook. Wow, that's different. When we are different for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of good, people will notice and glorify God. I want us to be different. Imagine a people like us that are willing to be signposts, be weird for Jesus. To be weird, to be kind and loving, and to be putting other people's needs in front of our own. I think we can take a lesson from our crazy, crazy cousin John, the immerser, and be weird for the sake of the kingdom. And when we are, the kingdom signposts are all over. Let's be that sort of people. That's what I pray for me. That's what I want to pray for you. Speaking of prayer, let's, let's pause for a word of prayer now. Father, you're good and powerful. Thank you that you invite us to be weird, to swim upstream and not do what everybody else is doing. Father, help us to embrace that sort of lifestyle, to walk in the Jesus ways. Father, we repent of areas we've not walked that way. We change direction, just like John preached about. We change direction, we follow the ways of Jesus, the narrow way. Father, help us to be different for the sake of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.